This is Meditations for Misfits, and I'm Fred Gruy. With this podcast, we're going to begin a series of uh, episodes looking at several questions attributed to God in the book of Job. Now, there's a lot of questions attributed to God in the book of Job, but we're only going to look at two in particular and, and skirt one that I find particularly troubling. So let's begin in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job, and this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. And when a period of fasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. And one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but the man himself, do not lay a finger on him. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So the first question in this passage that I've just shared is one that really just baffles the mind. God says to Satan, Where have you come from? Now, this question, like most questions, can be looked at from several angles. And one which I find quite terrifying is that God didn't know where Satan had been or what he'd been up to. God seems to be clueless about Satan's activities. Now, I don't know about you, but that sometimes can keep me awake at night. Now, another way of reading this question might be, So how's that working for you, Satan, causing all kinds of pain and suffering, sowing famine and war and hatred? Is that making you any happier? Maybe you might consider another line of work. Now, those are just two ways of exploring that question. And uh, I really have nothing else to say about that question because it, quite honestly, is just way above my pay grade. But the other question I'd like to begin exploring, at least in this podcast, 
is the second question from this passage, and it's one that really presents a lot of problems, particularly for our sisters and brothers who hold to a literal interpretation of Scripture. God, in essence, says to Satan, Hey, have you noticed my good friend Job over there? Why don't you go see how much pain and suffering you can inflict on him? Really? That's what it says. How do we relate to a God like that? This story reminds me of a famous one that's told about Teresa of Avila, the Catholic saint. Uh, one time she was on a trip and uh, as her carriage was crossing a stream, the stream flooded and she nearly drowned and then after and, and broke a leg. And then on the way <clears throat> to the monastery she was going to visit, they were held up by highwaymen. So finally she got to her destination, broke a leg, nearly drowned, robbed, went into the chapel and, and, and screamed at God and said, what's going on here? And God said to Teresa, Teresa, this is how I treat my friends. And Teresa of Avila reportedly shot back, well, no wonder you have so few. Now, as this text lays it out, Job truly is a good man. He's scrupulous about his devotion to God. He's not just some nominal Sunday Christian or believer. He's the real deal. Popular opinion, which can often be wrong, but it, he said, it said he was the greatest man of all the people in the East. But we also have God's word for it. God says there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. Now you'd think someone who was so admired by both God and people would, be, would get to experience the good life. Isn't that what we've been taught? Live an honest and upright life and God's blessings will shower down upon you? Well, and they did for a while, at least. But then Satan throws this back into God's face. Look, he says, this guy, Job, he just loves and worships you for all the good stuff you've given him. You're simply a return on his investment of time and money and worship and love. Take that all away, and he'll just be like every other guy on the planet that pays you no attention. Now, theologians have danced around the numerous problems this story presents, by declaring that the book of Job is a great cosmic test and that God has more faith in us than we have in God. They suggest that there is evil and chaos in the world and these are simply beyond our limited human understanding and so we're never going to get to the end of it. Now these are the theoretical issues, but what about the very real experience of human suffering? that unfolds in this epic tale. That's not theoretical. All of Job's children are killed in one tragic event. His body is tortured with unbearable pain. Three friends arrive to inform him that all this is happening because underneath all this pretense of godly devotion, Job's just like the rest of us, a hypocrite. Job's own wife is so fed up with him that she just looks at him in despair and says, why don't you just do us all a favor and curse God and die? Then from within the throes and this unimaginable misery arises one of the most unbelievable assertions of faith that I've ever read. It's, to me, it's one of the most unbelievable verses in the Bible. Job declares, Hin katal hani hello. Though you slay me, Yet will I trust in you, 
Job says to God. Now that's a statement of divine trust that honestly just scares the hell out of me. Job illustrates that faith, real faith, is the believing that God is good when all the evidence says God isn't. Now in an earlier podcast, uh, the ones concerning Elijah the prophet, I mentioned that our process of spiritual growth involves times of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, and that that process is simply part of the spiritual life. Sometimes it seems that that process is at the direct instigation of God, and this present case appears to be just so. For nearly 50 years, in my own wrestlings with the source, this divine other that we name God, over that time, one of the things I've learned is that God's really good at smashing all the boxes I've constructed and tried to, to tame this God. And God will not be contained. I realize that my God boxes have all been erected to provide me with the illusion that I can control God. That if I rub the Bible three times and say the magic prayers, that my desires and wishes will be granted. It's all an elaborate ruse to live in the unreality of my own self-importance. The problem is God just doesn't seem to want to play along. I've learned that God dwells in reality, the, the forever I am, not the I was or I will be. I am is right here and right now, and I've learned if I'm going to bump into this real God, the real source, it will only be where God dwells in the reality of the present moment. Now again, all this is theoretical, but what about real suffering? When Nobel winner and Nazi a Nazi concentration camp survivor, Eli Wiesel, helps desanitize this whole conversation. He's written a haunting play called The Trial of God, which is based on an actual occurrence at the Auschwitz concentration camp. Wiesel portrays a trial in which God is accused of idly standing by and allowing God's chosen ones to suffer unmitigated suffering. God is accused of betrayal and found guilty by these Jewish prisoners in a concentration camp. And then remarkably afterwards, when the, when the trial is over and God is found guilty, they go out and celebrate the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Their actions, like those of Job, give evidence to a depth of faith that's incredibly heroic and remarkable. When the very ugliest and unimaginable pain and suffering that life can throw at us when they experience that, they cry out to this God who is beyond our understanding. Hinkatalani, yea, hello. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. Thanks so much for allowing me to join you for these few moments on your journey through your life today. As a final uh, quote, I'll share with you one of my favorites. I know I've shared it before, but in this particular podcast, it seems very appropriate. Frederick Beekner, the theologian, has written, All wise, all powerful, all loving, all knowing, we bore to death both God and ourselves with our chatter. God is not to be expressed, but only experienced. <laughs>